I don't know the uh, next article, so it might screw up my whole sermon. <laughs> Boy, that's not good. We could pray now and just be on our way, because that really kind of shows to me what happened in Red Deer, what the church is all about. I mean, who does that? I mean, spends 29 grand on a car, donates it back, and then somebody buys it for 30 grand, donates it back, and then somebody buys it for 20 grand and donates it to the kiddo. Unbelievable, isn't it? And I kind of think that, when I watched that, I just thought, wow, come hell or high water, I've got to show that to my congregation because that is really, it's good to be together. Amen? Lord, we pray that you would work in our lives, that we would understand how good it is to have each other. We need each other through thick and thin. And that was a beautiful, beautiful version of how you're working in ordinary life, in ordinary people, and they were moved in Red Deer to, to, to care of um, widows and orphans, shall we say, but the orphan kids. And we're just so pleased to see that you're at work. Even when we think back to the Humboldt Broncos, I love how you did stuff in Canada and around the world. And Lord, when I watched the one preacher come up and his voice was breaking as he gave the memorial service, it said his name at the bottom and I couldn't believe my eyes because that was a punky, nerdy grade 11 student when I was in Bible college. And now he was proclaiming the news of Jesus Christ around the world through that tragedy. Father, even on that note, when we think of the Broncos, we pray that you'd continue to be with those guys. Some of them are back in action. Be with them in their memories and in their thought life because that's a tough one to get over. And we pray that you'd be with the parents and the corporation, the the, the hockey club, everybody that was touched, the truck driver, the bus driver's family, everyone, Lord. And we would ask that you would do kind of what you've done here in Red Deer. People would come together and be together and that you would be glorified, Lord, because this is the kind of community that we're after. This is kind of like church and what you want in your church. Thank you, Jesus. Now, please open your word to us in a powerful way. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm pumped, so we're going to start with that and look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and like I said, we're kind of kicking off, it's good to be together. Last week, we looked at uh, a, a portion in the Gospels that said what, kind of like the five pillars of what a church should do. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about worship, evangelism, service, and the list goes on, and all of, us, all of that needs to be saturated in prayer. And today, we want to talk about something a little bit different. And you might look at this passage and go, how in the world is he going to bring this together? We'll see. It might not work, but we'll see. Here we go. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. Uh, in the uh, ESV version, this is what it says. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the ones through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he should cause one of these little ones to, to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, well, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, 
and it would obey you. It would obey you. Today, I kind of want to look at this, is kind of getting also an idea from Pastor Gabby, just one of those ladies out there on the World Wide Web. But is your life creating bridges for people, or is it creating walls for people? Put another way, is your life creating corks where it's just like people can't grow anymore or perhaps you have lots of good news in yourself but you cork yourself or there's an obstacle or sin in your life and you're corked and you can no longer grow? So for me, that's kind of a haunting question. I think about it almost every day. What is in my life that might be corking my growth or what is it that I'm doing or not doing that might be a cork in your life? And as we look at this, you might go, well, what does this have to do with us? Because he said, uh, he who causes a little one to stumble, uh, this is the person that a millstone should be hung around his neck and thrown in the middle of the sea. And that's where we get caught up. I think probably almost all of you, when I read this passage, passage of scripture, you kind of tuned me out after I was done that. When we started talking about tying something around your neck and throwing you in the middle of the sea, you're probably like, what? And that's where you stayed, and the rest of the sermon, you're just going, I wonder what that would feel like. Did he really mean that? Was, it, what, was that figurative, or was that literal? And just like, move on, move on. That's just part of the sermon today. But here, he's also saying, um, if you cause my little one to stumble, I take that very seriously. But is he just talking about little kiddos, like maybe age five, six, 11? No. It's interesting that within Scripture, he wants us to become like little kiddos. Little kiddos dis display a faith in their parents that for some reason they know they're going to eat lunch, but they have no clue that you had to work overtime to provide lunch. They have no clue that for you to throw them a birthday party, you had to pull all sorts of strings together, make all sorts of phone calls, make all sorts happen. They just show up to the gym or to the climbing wall and they think, they think you've magically snapped your fingers. But here he's also saying, you guys, don't cause each other to stumble, and I take it very seriously. So if you're feeling kind of an angst or a, a dryness in the throat, that's okay, because this is a serious passage, but it's not a passage where he's saying, I want you to stop at the millstone around your neck. He doesn't want you to stop there. That's just this much of the sermon. There's way more to it here. He wants us to build bridges in our own life and bridges within our community so that we can actually walk across this stuff and connect more deeply to the Lord Jesus Christ and more deeply to each other. And I think within that, we also understand ourselves a little better once we have a good and healthy understanding of who Jesus Christ is and the plans he has for our life. There's a lot in this passage. Throughout Luke, he's talking, and he's using parables, he's using all sorts, and he's talking to the crowd. So he's talking to people that have never heard of him, that he's talking to people that are skeptical, he's talking to people that are ready to fight, and they have no use, atheists. He's talking to Pharisees, people that have taken portion of the law and created their own religion, Sadducees who don't necessarily believe in the resurrection at the end, they don't believe that stuff people that have been to the religious temple but now have pulled out. He's talking to everybody. But here all of a sudden when we look at our passage in, in Luke chapter 17 and he said to his what? Starts with a D, ends with uh, 
disciples. <laughs> disciples. So he's talking to people that have sold out for Christ. He's talking to people that have crossed the line and said, I am a Christ one. He's talking to people that have walked to the other side and saying, I believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for me. I receive his forgiveness. So he's now talking to those of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have crossed that line, there are things that aren't just suggestions anymore. There are things that we call commands or obedience. And if you call yourself a Christ one, it's time to step over the line and act like one. So there's things that he says in Scripture that are just like, no, this isn't something that would be, this would be really nice if you did this. Nope. He's saying, if you're a Christ one, a Christ one does this. So that's kind of what we're looking at here. He's addressing people that have given themselves over to Christ. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If you're here today contemplating Christ, please don't look at us too closely because we often struggle with a lack of integrity or we often struggle with hypocrisy or depression, yada, yada, yada. But guess what? We begin to realize that Jesus Christ loves us anyhow. And now we want to live into that potential that he has for us. And we live as forgiven people. It's fantastic. And Christ has that for you to, to today too, if, you, if you're not there yet. So he's talking right now, and he's dis, he is addressing his disciples. And he's saying, this is what it looks like if you're a disciple. These are the things that you're going to do and not do. He's pretty much saying, these are my teaching, and my teachings are not an option for you. You need to obey this. Pastor Gabby said, because the moment you agree to step into a relationship with me, Jesus, to begin a journey with me, you agree to share the journey with others because you're not meant to grow alone. You guys, this is incredible because in America and in Canada, it's all about me and Jesus. Like how much of our prayer life is me and Jesus, me, me, me. wonder what has the Lord has for me today, me, 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 me. Right? We've become so individualistic. We got lots to learn from folks in the Middle East and around the world about being together. We got lots to learn here from Red Deer about people coming together through crisis. In fact, some people said to me, uh, what are the differences between the prairies and here? One thing here is I noticed when I, when I moved out here 20 years ago, well, first of all, there was quite an obsession with uh, self-image. Almost every hydro pole that I went by, there was something, lose 30 pounds in 30 days. I just, like, that just didn't happen in the prairies, maybe because the uh, hydro poles were concrete back there. I don't know. But it was just very interesting to me. And then Ron Penner pointed out that one of the news um, things that he had read and one of, the, um, uh, one of the things that they had surveyed people about, what's the problem here in Vancouver? We thought pricing of houses and all that stuff. And it seems the biggest problem here in Vancouver is loneliness. And part of that is because we don't get out much and we don't actually get deeper in relationship one, with one another. That was in the news. And it seems as though that sometimes we're so enamored with ourselves and our own version of success that we don't actually pull down the onion a bit and realize that we need one another or peel back the onion and realize you're not the only one in here struggling with depression. You're not the only one in here who is struggling in their marriage. 
you're not the only one in here that can't pay the bill. You're surrounded by those kinds of folks this morning. So here it's interesting what she said here. The moment you join the kingdom, the moment you join the kingdom of Christ, you're actually becoming part of something much greater than yourself. And it's no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you. And Christ is interested in his body. And his body is the church. And the church is all of you. The church is all of you. The church is Peace Portal. The church is the village. The church is White Rock Baptist. The church, it goes around the world. So we, as ones that have signed up for Christ or with Christ, we have a responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility to make sure there's no corks in our life. And we get to the point where we actually help each other get the corks out of each other's lives. Now, this isn't easy. Because if you're not in relationship, if I, if I go, what's your name again? Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. You need to stop doing this. You've got to get this cork out of your life. He's probably going to punch me in the nose, right? That's not the way it works. The church, we are supposed to be in relationship. We are supposed to be the body. And because we care for one another, we actually care that each other grows in Christ. You know the saying, you've heard me say it a ton of times, that um, say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't be mean when you say it. Right? Or some other guy said something along, people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you might be right, but nobody cares about your rightness because you're a big jerk. So it's really important to be in relationship with Almighty God and pay attention for the moving of the Holy Spirit and he might be tapping you on the shoulder to say, hey Imran, I've just noticed this about you. Hey Harm, I, you know, I don't know how things are going, but can we have coffee? And that's tough. Because you're opening yourself up to somebody might get mad at you, but you're also opening yourself up to they might go, hey, Steve, can we have coffee? No, thanks. I don't drink coffee anymore, you know? <laughs> so we need each other. But it's interesting because, like I said, we, we kind of go to this passage. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast in the sea, then that he should cause any of my little ones to stumble. And, and that's very serious. But I think what can happen there is we hiccup our relationship with Christ and also we stop there and we start thinking about fear and we start thinking about things I have to do and don't do and we start to play it safe and we start to build a religion. You ever thought about relationships and how crazy they are? Like I was saying this even to my wife the other day. I knew that lady for, was that a year and 10 days? And then I devoted my life to her. How mad is that? Like it's nuts. Marriage is nuts. If you ask me, if you're about to get married, sorry, you bug ears right now. But it's nuts so. Here, I'm, I'm like, how, I was about 32 years on my own. And I was getting along pretty good by myself. And then all of a sudden I fall madly in love with this girl. And then I say the rest of my life through thick or thin, in the presence of God and these witnesses, I am going to stick it out with you. That's madness if you think about it. Choose well. <laughs> uh, I did. I, you can interview Jody later. 
but it's madness. But in this relationship that we have in the community of Christ, it's really important that we realize that when we sign up, we also want to obey Christ, and that also means that we meddle in a good way in each other's lives. We do so so that each of us grows in Christ. But like I said, oftentimes because of this millstone around your neck, we stop there and we build a safety net around ourselves or we function out of fear and we build more of a religion because we don't want to screw this up. I don't want to end up with a millstone around my neck. And all of a sudden we're going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. If we actually turn around and realize I'm not going to actually function my life out of fear on the things that I don't want to do and I don't want to go there. I don't want to be caught saying this or looking at that. Instead, you turn around and, and you, your trajectory of your life is fixing my eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame. Now he sits down. You know it. So it's not staring at the sin or staring at the, if I screw this up, the judgment, but more of you get to connect with Jesus Christ, you guys. This is incredible. And he wants to fill you up. And as you're filled, you start spilling and sloshing all over the place onto other people. You know John 10.10, 10, thief has come to kill and destroy, but I've come to give life and life to the full. He wants us to spill onto each other. And he wants us to have an intrinsic motivation, what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. We get wrapped up in the wrong stuff. I remember Kai, he's, he's our son, our oldest son, he's 21. And um, when we were parenting all along, it was just interesting. And one of the things we always wanted for him to learn is this. When he would get in trouble, when he would do something stupid or if he'd just make a big old mistake, whatever, uh, we said, you know, you know what? We're going to have to talk about this when we get home. And always his question was, what's my punishment? What's it going to be? We'll talk about what, but what, what's going to happen? Like, we always wanted him to actually have this intrinsic click so that he was actually sorry for what he had done and not sorry for getting caught. Or sorry that he would actually like to change the trajectory and not be a part of this garbage anymore instead of, what's my punishment? I, I just need to pay it off so that I feel better about myself. Like... Kiddos, if you're in here today and you're, 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 your parents still have to hand out kind of punishments or disciplines, the whole process, you guys, is that inside your heart you go, wait a minute, look what I've done to my relationships. I've built a wall. I'm not sensing God anymore. And I don't like supper time because I can't look my mom in the eye because what I said to her last night. So those are things that in your heart should click and now you're intrinsically motivated to change and to repent and get right with Jesus and to get right with your mama. Getting rid of the corks. Getting rid of the things that are stifling your growth. And that's part of maturity. It's kind of neat to see even watch Kai at 21 years old that he's growing and to see him come clean on some stuff or move toward because relationship's important to him now. But sometimes, and when we're raising kiddos, that's a long, hard job. But I think some of us never grow up. Some of us are still, what's my punishment, God? What's my millstone? He's going, really? 
you're still asking about the millstone? I want you to grow, son. My daughter, I have good things for you. Get rid of the corks. Get rid of the corks. He gives us, he gives his disciples or he gives us a stern warning in this passage. He says, do not cause my little ones to stumble. I remember growing up, I, I grew up in a family of nine kids. So save the best for last. That would be me. I'm the youngest. And uh, I, I was born on my oldest sister's 18th birthday. I know. Weird. But here we were in the prairies, and uh, we grew up, uh, I grew up on a big acreage, but by the time I came around, we had whittled it down to about 4.3 acres. But all of the trees in Manitoba, all the trees here, uh, every one of them my dad had planted. So he, he had planted this long, long row of, I don't know, about half a mile of trees, and there was trees here, and then give it about 10 feet, and trees here. So there was this kind of a neat uh, place right in between where we could play games. So if you could dodge the mosquitoes and the snow and the thunder and the lightning and all that, then, then Manitoba's perfect. We would play this game called Give Me a Wave. And Give Me a Wave, I mean, one thing that Manitoba has on us here is that we don't really have streetlights much in those towns. So when it's dark, it is dark. And games are the best. So you turn off all the lights and some of the boys came over and I have all these brothers and their friends and stuff and we'd say, let's play Give Me a Wave. So I'm this little gaffer, and I can hardly wait. I love this game, but the adrenaline's flowing. My heart's pumping. The blood is just gushing. And uh, whoever's it, they have to find you and tag you, and then you got to go to the prison, and you stand there at the porch under this little dim light, and you just wait, and you look into the bush, and if somebody that's not caught gives you a wave, you're free to go. So there you are. You're running, and you're covering yourself with leaves and all that stuff. And I just remember this one day in particular that all of a sudden, I think it was Sam, Sam was hot on my trail. So it was just like, whoa, and I'm just running, and I'm going through this grove, trees on this side, trees on that side, and I'm just booking it, kind of looking backwards, and I can, I just, I can feel everything. I can hear the, the blood pounding. And as I'm ripping and I'm looking back, also, I took flight because my brother put a bale, a hay bale in the middle of that path. He knew darn well that I'd be ripping down that alleyway. And I took, man, you want to know what it's like to soar as an eagle? Just ask me after the service. I went flying. It was hilarious. Well, it is now. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was just booking it down there, and he had put an obstacle in my way. And let me tell you, it stopped me, and he caught me, and the game was kind of over, shall we say. And that's pretty much what he doesn't want us to do. He doesn't want us to put hay bales in front of each other. He wants us maybe to even be apart even more than that instead of not putting hay bales in front of the kiddos, in front of each other. He actually wants you to be a part of the ministry of, hey, Dale, let's pick up this hail bay together and we're going to move it out of the way. So he actually wants us to be a part of peace and reconciliation talks and with each other. He wants us to be a part of each other's marriages and help each other out. He wants us to get involved. He wants you to maybe if you've got a couple extra bucks and you know somebody can't afford marriage counseling, hey, throw a couple bucks their way, even anonymously, whatever. But we're actually helping get the corks out of each other's lives or the bales out of each other's give me a wave kind of scenarios. Do not cause my little ones to stumble. And that stumble is an interesting word. It kind of comes from... Uh, uh, scandalon or scandalous. 
And you unpack that word, it really means uh, to stumble or to set a trap or uh, to tackle, all that stuff. And uh, he is saying, and I think we can say here too, that if you claim to be a Christian and you are actually being devious and setting traps for people, uh, bad news, bad news, because the Lord does take that seriously. In fact, you know what? We're not perfect here. I know people in here that are struggling with uh, um, addiction and stuff. And there was one point in the history of this church where somebody that was trying to stay on the wagon uh, went over to an AA meeting and got hooked up with drugs from another person that came to this church. So I'm just like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? Right? But still... That doesn't mean they're both have a millstone wrapped around their neck. It's just like, dudes, this is not cool. You actually built a wall, and now somebody's struggling with addiction again instead of a bridge. We're all about bridge building. Amen? So we get to be ambassadors. So the Lord God has made it incredibly clear. He sent Jesus Christ to be a bridge for us. We're doing this, uh, this whole new curriculum in youth group. I'm so excited because the good answer is not here in church. The good answer is not about you. The good answer is not out there. The good answer is this. The only way that you can be saved is by being rescued. There is no mechanism in your life, no relationship that can actually make things right with you and God besides being rescued. And you can't be rescued by meditating. You can't be rescued by going to a small group. You can't be rescued by even becoming st staff at a church. You only can be rescued by Jesus Christ. And it's from the outside. So we need him. He needs to come into our life and rescue us. All of us. I don't care if you're wearing a three-piece suit today or if you, if you could rub two nickels together and you, you, know, you had hardly anything to get dressed with today. It doesn't matter your ec economic status, where you grew up, anything like that. Jesus needs to rescue us. And you probably got the hint now is that all of this passage, I think, doesn't say it necessarily, but I think all of this passage, especially when it says you've got to be like a little kiddo and come to me, you've got to have a childlike faith, don't cause one of my little ones to stumble. Well, one of the things that little kiddos have is a humility. One of the things he's asking for us to do is humble ourselves and become childlike, not childish, childlike. And to come to Christ, we need to humble ourselves. Because I do not have what it takes to get right with God. And neither do you. We need to be rescued. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. That's what Jesus Christ has done. We're ambassadors of this. So, I mean, again, going back to this whole theme of it's not just about you, it's us, it's the body, it's worldwide, global Christianity here. We have to be interested in each other's lives. And we have to be interested in bridge building. So even if you think you're a bit of a hermit and you stay at home, guess what? You're supposed to be part of bridge building. You gotta be part of bridge building. You gotta be a part of getting the bales out of the way. You gotta be part of getting the corks out of your life and helping get the corks out of each other's lives. It's really important. 
And it's interesting because I think the opposite is true too. And I've seen this many, many times. When people are interested in sinning, and let's be honest, lots of us are, we're interested in sinning, all of a sudden we're tempted. And let me tell you, you're tempted to cheat on your spouse, you're tempted to do this or that, you're tempted to cheat on your taxes. You can always find somebody to support you. You can always go on the World Wide Web and, and find some Yahoo that's going to back up what you're actually thinking. And that's why we need each other too. We need honest relationships that if I have some quacked idea that somebody's going to go, yeah, no, I hear a duck coming, quack, 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 right? No, that's not so. What are you doing? I think even a good marriage has that. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we know that talks about the, uh, how important love is. And when we look at love, he talks about it even in the latter part of that chapter. He talks about it's kind of like looking in a, in a shiny mirror. And back then, we know the mirror was kind of dull. But you kind of look in the mirror, and what kind of person looks in the mirror and goes, holy mackerel, what's with that? Well, whatever. Doo-doo-doo. And you go to school, you know. No, you probably do something. If something's not right with your hair or something's gone wrong on the old face, you probably do something about it. And the same thing in a good relationship, in a marriage relationship, in a church relationship, if all of a sudden there's something that's reflecting that's not quite right, a person cares enough to do something about it. So when all of a sudden there's something in my marriage that isn't right, and I can see it reflected in Jody that she's not experiencing joy, and I just know that it's my fault in a way, we got to have one of those chats. I have to care that what I'm doing, building this wall, my wife is not experiencing joy or she can't be the mama or she can't be the counselor or she can't be the friend that she's called to be because I'm being a bloody cork in her life. You know what I mean? We need to be bridge builders. So there's a chance that you're not reaching your potential in your marriage because something's not right at work. Or there's some chance if there's something not right at work and it's affecting your marriage or this is, you know, it's all interconnected because you have signed up and you stepped over the threshold and said, I am a disciple of Christ. It is really, really important. And you guys, it's interesting, a long time ago, I don't know if it's right or not, but they say that in the good old days when you'd go crayfish um, catching, those things freaked me out. They're so ugly, but nonetheless, we did that. And I tried to not look scared, but I think Stuart could read me. But nonetheless, you grab these puppies and you throw them in a two and a half gallon pail or whatever, and sometimes they could get out. But the theory is that if you'd have two crayfish in there, they would never get out because they always pull each other down. What are your relationships like? Are you surrounding yourselves? I think we should have all sorts of friends. But are you surrounding yourselves, your best friends, your bosom buddies, are they people that drag you down or build you up? This is so important. If you're a teenager here today, this is what you need to take away from today's sermon. If you surround yourself with turkeys, man, you will never become an eagle. And take that to the bank. And don't try and experiment because you're wrong. This is one I know I'm right that you surround yourself with folks that are absolutely negative and going down a trajectory of life, doing drugs and smoking up and doing all this other stuff, you will become that. You need to choose friends wisely. And gentlemen, I'm going to throw this out for free too. Men, it's really hard because I think as we get older, it's hard for us to have bosom buddies. 
And almost every time I have somebody in my counseling office and their marriage is going awry or something's messed up in their life, I often ask, so do you have any bosom buddies? And almost every time, the, well, there's Bob and then there's, like, no, in other words, you know? It's, and I'm saying this to myself, too. I know very well that at my age, you know, sometimes people move away or sometimes people pass away or sometimes you have disagreements. And I, I don't open my door in the morning going, okay, next, for bosom buddy, come on in. I don't have a lineup of people taking numbers. I mean, bosom buddies are hard to come by. And we need bosom buddies. Gentlemen, I think women are a little better at this on the whole. But we need good relationships and relationships that help us be the best us that we can be in Christ. Women, wouldn't you give me an amen on that? Amen. All right. One way that we can not become a stumbling block is to watch yourself. And um, when I was in Bible college, we had gratises. They're the worst. Gra what does gratis mean anyway? Like pretty much doing something for free or something like that, right? Well, gratis was a job you could do so that you could keep the cost down of college. So this one, this one gratis I had was to clean the third year classroom every day. So I had to go in there, clean up the whole place, sweep it up, and sometimes mop it or whatever. It was the worst job. Those third years, they're slobs. Ugh. So I would go in there, and I got to admit that after a while, I just thought, these guys are so gross. I don't really care. So I just pick up a little bit of garbage, move the broom around a bit, and hit the road. Well, honestly, I could start to sense that I should probably do a better job, but I got things to do. I mean, I'm in the resident assistant. I got things to do. I, I'm, I have a stacked course. I'm on the volleyball team. I'm the captain of it. I got to get going, you know? So I have all sorts of excuses. And I really think that was the Holy Spirit of God just saying, hey, Steve, tap, tap, tap. You should really probably do the best you can, best of your ability. But I'm just like, eh, you know who I am? It's important. So I just kept pushing that off, knowing full well that I should do a better job. Then all of a sudden, art. He is the professor or he's the, uh, he's the faculty in charge of gratises. Hey, Steve, can I see you in my office? Sure. He didn't want to talk volleyball that day. He said, Steve, uh, what's your gratis? He knew full well, but he's being like Jesus. He asks questions. Jesus did this all the time. Just ask questions, and then you, you answer your own questions. So he said, what gratis do you do? Um, I clean the third-year classroom. So, you think you're doing a pretty good job? <laughs> you know, unbelievable. So, just all these horrible questions that he's asking me. But he didn't do it like a jerk. He just, he had me, man. And you know what? The Lord gave me a chance. The Holy Spirit was convicting me already. I knew that I should be up in the ante on this. But Art had the guts to just say, hey, can I see in my office? How do you think you're doing on that job? Yeah, I think we need a bit of a cleaner job on this one. He didn't have to say much. I was just, I walked out of there and I could have been depressed or I could have quit college or I could have beat him up. Well, probably not. Just, <laughs> but whatever. And my response was, oh, God, you know. So God tapped me on the shoulder and then finally he sent art like a two by four and hit me across the head. You know what? I went into that third year classroom every day and I would pick up garbage and I would sweep. And this is a real story, you guys. After that, I was absolutely impressed how when I kept it clean, because of that clean environment, the third years also kept it cleaner. Interesting. Interesting lesson. 
So if they came into a pigsty, they treated it like a pigsty. If they came into a clean place, they treated it like a clean place. But the Holy Spirit was doing something in my life, and because I wasn't terribly interested, he sent, one, he sent a powerhouse, he sent an, uh, another guy in relationship to help me understand that I needed to walk in integrity and I needed to um, listen to the Holy Spirit of God. The Lord sent a man. Galatians 6 says this, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression or any sin or any obstacle, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he or she deceives themselves. But let, let each one test his own work, and then, his, <clears throat> and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in the due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Oh, I'm going to say that again, verse 10, uh, Galatians chapter 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everybody, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You guys, from Galatians chapter 6, what does it have to do about it? He says, if anybody's caught in a transgression, if anybody's caught being a cork, if anybody's caught being a bale, if anybody's caught in sin, you ought to go up to those people. Is that what he says? No, not at all. Let me go back here. You who are spiritual, so there you have a job to stay connected to Jesus, spiritual. You should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch over yourself because you too might be tempted and fall. In in interesting stuff. So here, just him writing this, he's saying it's not an option. We do need to get involved in each other's lives. But you darn well better do it gently because he goes on to talk about sowing and reaping. You want to be a jerk? If you want to hurt people, if you want to go out there and just become another cork upon a cork upon a cork, look out. Your time is coming. Your time is coming. But we have a responsibility to each other, and part of that is making sure about our own relationship with Jesus Christ, learning to watch yourself, learning to do your gratis properly, learning to make sure there's no corks in my life, getting help to move my bales. I'll throw this out just for free. Um, there's sometimes a stigma about counseling. Let me throw this out. I think counseling is fantastic. I sure need it. And you guys, if you're going through something, if, if you find that there's a cork, you still can't forgive your dad for what he's done 500 years ago, or if you still can't get over what your husband did two years ago, or if you're just struggling with something and you just can't forgive somebody, or whatever it might be, Make a connection with a counselor, a biblical counselor, or, or if you need some advice, my, my wife's a counselor. She'll know good Christian counselors or whatever. But it's really important to sometimes get mentored or a life coach or counseled to make some good decisions in your life.
that might be the difference between living a quark life and an uncork life. That was for free. And then here, we got to speed up here a bit, but we must learn to forgive others. And he says that right here in our major portion of scripture that we looked at this morning, learning to forgive each other. An Anglican pastor and a poet, George Herbert, wrote this. He who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. He who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. Let me tell you, this is a, a real trick. This is something that you, you need to bring home, is if you're wondering if there is a cork in your life, this is often a cork that we overlook. And if there's one thing that Pastor Ken left with me, he says one book that we need to read more of, which is a really goofy title, but it's called The, the Bait of Satan. He says many of us lived cork lives because we have offense in our life. Somebody's offended you. Some, many, many people don't go to church anymore because they were offended by somebody. Five, six, 14 years ago, they said something that hurt my feelings and they just never moved on. And here he says, boy, if you can't forgive, that's like breaking a bridge that you yourself, you're going to have to cross. The power of forgiveness comes from Jesus Christ and in him alone. If you think about it, you want to talk about miracles? Because I do. I mean, even my son just said, Dad, why don't we see like those crazy miracles of like a big finger on the wall like in the Old Testament or people raising from the dead, you know, all these cool stuff. And stuff like, like pretty cool stuff does happen. But do you understand how miraculous it is when somebody forgives you? or you forgive somebody? Like, just think about that for a second. Where do we find that capacity? And I think it's actually impossible if we don't have Jesus Christ. Because we offend each other and we hurt each other's feelings. Like, there's some big stuff in our lives. And what Christ has done on the cross, that he forgave us even when we didn't give a rip about him. He went to the cross, despising the shame of the cross. But he gave himself for you, Kelly, and for me, for you, Norm, he did that even when we really didn't care and we could curse at him and all that stuff. But yet he did it, hoping that one day we too would turn toward him and say, Jesus is Lord, and we would bend our knee toward him. And guys, that's the ticket to learning to forgive each other is when we realize how incredible the sacrifice was for us to be forgiven and in a right relationship with God. That's bridge building. He says, um, he tells us how impossible this is because he goes on to this next portion of scripture and he says this, um, the, the very last part of it, he says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Well, if you've seen a mustard seed, it's pretty small. It's really small. I mean, it's mega small. And he says, if you got a mega small amount of faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And I think we're tempted to go, really? So you're going to go find a tree today and you're going to go, I'm going to put you in the sea. Are you ready? You know, 
not totally sure that's what he totally means here. But we're talking about a mulberry tree that had crazy roots, and it's not so. The people he's talking to, they knew what he's talking about. That would be like, what? How in the world to get this tree uprooted and planted over there in the middle of the sea? And he's saying, that's kind of like unforgiveness. That's kind of like getting the corks out of your life. That's kind of like living together. That's kind of like being the church. Sometimes it feels impossible because people have hurt you. Sometimes it seems impossible because you have hurt others. Sometimes it seems impossible because you've got to line up a resume of sin. And you're going, there's no way God can forgive me. And I can't sit in this church because if people get to know me, they don't want nothing to do with me. Oh, ye of little faith, if you have the size, if your faith is the side of a mustard seed, he can rip up the roots of your bitterness, of your unforgiveness. He can rip up the roots of your hatred of your prejudice. He can rip up the roots of your pride. He can rip up the roots of whatever's going on and breaking down your marriage. He can rip it up and he throw it in the middle of the sea. And he proved it because for us to get back to God is impossible without Jesus Christ. Increase our faith, the disciples said. I think that's a pretty cool prayer for us. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. This whole passage is just spilling, dripping with humility. And we all need to start here. We all need to be rescued. Want to say that? I need to be rescued. That was a whisper. So I want to say it with me. I need to be rescued. Yeah. You, may, you might be the cuddliest, cutest little granny that sits on your couch and you knit pair of slippers for the Salvation Army. You need to be rescued. You may, might be the richest couple in here and you give millions of... You need to be rescued. You might be so poor that you're so hu humble you collect cans and that's how you give to the... Ch you need to be rescued. You might be the nicest person. You wait at the street corner for little old ladies to pass so you can cross with. You need to be rescued. You might be the preacher of a church. You need to be rescued. You might be the most fabulous, well-liked teacher in White Rock Christian Academy. You need to be rescued. Starts there. And that is the beginning of bridge building and getting rid of the corks and the walls in our life. And he's calling us to build this bridge that he built first. And now he's saying, Karen, I want you to be a bridge builder. Dale, I want you to be a bridge builder. Elijah, bridge builder. Jody, bridge builder. Get that bale out of the way. Get rid of that cork. And because we're committed to growing in Christ, that means we're also committed to each other. Going back to Galatians, we're interested in restoration. We're not interested in being right. We're interested in restoration. So when you hear of somebody that used to go to church and doesn't anymore, that should break your heart. And there's lots of them out there. There's lots of them out there. So my friends, I hope from today we realize that in the spirit of humility, we get to be a part of each other's lives. In the spirit of humility, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, either 
just himself or he's speaking to us through prayer or through the word of God or through each other. I don't know. He speaks to us. He also is speaking to us that he wants us to be a part of a community. It's not about me and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. Us and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. And then he wants you to do business. If there's something in your life that's corking your relationship with Jesus, you're also ripping off the church. If you're not meeting your potential in, in Christ, that means you're actually stifling the body of Christ. So if I have a secret sin, I'm up here preaching and then at midnight I'm looking at porn on, on the internet or whatever, I am actually in, in the darkness of my room or whatever thinking that nobody knows. But we won't reach our potential because I have a cork in my life. Let's get rid of the corks. It's good to be, get, to be together, isn't it? And that's what we're going to explore in the weeks to come. It's good to be together. We're committed to growing in Christ because of the bridge that he has built. And now we're bridge builders. And we want to be together and we want to help restore each other. We want to restore marriages. We want to restore relationships. And we want to restore people that used to go to church and don't come to church yet. We want them to understand what Jesus has done for them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to commit ourselves to growing in Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be committed to being more honest with ourselves, get rid of quirks, and help us, Lord Jesus, to also understand that we get to be a part of bridge building, bail removing, and cork popping in each other's lives in a gracious way, in a humble way, because we care about our restoration. Because it's not about me and Jesus, it's about us in Jesus. It's about us in Jesus. Lord, we love you and thank you for this incredible bridge that you have built for us. And help us, Lord, empower us, Lord, to be responsive to you because you got a whole room here of bridge builders. And Lord, we want to be a part of it. We know that you're at work and we want to be a part of it. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to leave you with a blessing from God's word and then I'll let the worship team, fabulous job by the way, the worship team, hey, let's, yeah. love it, love it. The blessing from God's word comes out of Romans chapter 15 verse 13 and says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me tell you a little secret. Uh, Boy, I've gotten around quite a bit this last week, and I realize over and over and over and over again, one of the things that's lacking in so many people is a lack of hope. They don't wonder anymore, and they don't dream anymore, and they've lost hope. And here he says, may the God of hope, may the God of joy, may the God of peace, the one who you believe in, by the power of the Holy Spirit, May he help us abound in hope to bring hope to people that need it desperately. Amen.